Now at our church, as of course every church should, we take membership seriously. And we take vows seriously. And so there are times when a person gets to know a church well enough and decides to become more than an informal visitor, but decides to make a formal relationship with a single local church. Now, every local church is part of the wider body of Christ that includes all of the true churches on earth, but also those in heaven. And so there's a membership. Uh, it's hard to find a church, isn't it? I remember when I was young, it was so hard to find a church. I would go to one for two or three weeks. Then they'd say something weird. I'd go to the next one. Then the people were weird. I'd go to another one, and I was too weird. <laughs> so, you know, it's hard. And you, you try, and you go, and you meet the people. And so I understand from painful experience that, frankly, it's hard to join a church. And yet still people do it. Well, one of the reasons that it says in the Bible is for mutual service and accountability. It says none of us has all of the gifts of the Spirit. Some have this gift and some have that gift. And when we come together, we share in each other's gifts and ability, but also we're allowed to provide for each other. We take care of each other. When, you, when we think about the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith and that we actually believe the gospel, one of the things that God uses as a means to keep us in the faith all through life and to bring us to that place at the end where we see him face to face is the local church. It's, of course, all through the Bible. You read about churches and synagogues, and you get to the place where you start to understand that one of the ways that God has taken care of you is not just through the reading of Scripture or private prayer, and it's not just through the family and family commitments, but also through these people here gathered which not only share in your faith, they support your faith through time. So at this time, we're going to be bringing in two new members. Preston, if you and Noah would come forward, please. And as usual, we're having problems with the sound system, so I'm going to move this up. Just to make sure everybody can hear. So Noah and Preston, do you confess that you are a sinner in the sight of God and that you deserve his punishment, that you're unable to save yourself and that you're without hope of salvation except for God's love and mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of sinners? And do you receive and trust on him alone for your salvation? Do you accept the Bible comprised of the Old and New Testaments as the written word of God and that it is the only perfect rule of faith and how to live? Do you promise to trust in the guidance and strength of the Holy Spirit so that you can live all of life as a Christian following the example set by Jesus Christ? Do you promise to exercise faithful stewardship of God's resources entrusted to you for the furtherance of God's kingdom and purposes? Yes. Now, there are a few that are particular to our specific group here. Do you accept that the doctrines and principles and standards of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church are founded upon the scriptures? Yes. 
In loving obedience, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of this church, promising to seek the peace, purity, and prosperity of this congregation as long as you are a member of it? Yes. Now, in this, uh, in the binding together, it's not entirely different from adoption or perhaps a marriage ceremony where a person has with their own lips said, I am committing myself to you and you are committing yourself to me. So I ask you as a congregation, do you accept these two not only into membership, but will you actively pray for their peace, their purity, and well-being, and support them in their Christian life? Amen. Lord our God and Father, we pray especially for Preston and for Noah right now, that you would just fill them with your spirit, Lord God, and guide them. That all their days they would know you as Lord and Savior. That they would never have doubt or fear, but always be full of faith and the strength of the Holy Ghost. We pray that in the relationship with this church, Lord God, that you would bless them as they bless us. And we thank you for all of these things in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And Noah, would you like to be baptized? Yes, sir. Well, in regard to the vows you've already taken, those are the things that are necessary to know in order to receive the sacrament of baptism. And now I'm also going to say, uh, Noah, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, because that's what they did in the Bible. Does that sound okay? Sure. Lord, our God and Father, we pray for Noah right now. He's taking a big step in life, Lord God. He believes in you vigorously. And he's met with the session, Lord God, and they have approved that this is a godly young man who's full of faith. We pray, Lord God, that you would bless him in this endeavor, that you'd be with him all the days of his life, that as we mark him with mere water, Lord God, that it would represent the placement of your Holy Spirit, which can only be found in the heart. We praise you for these gifts that you give us in the name of Jesus Christ. Noah Kendall. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Lord our God and Father, again, we just pray for these two. We pray for your blessing upon them and that everything they put their hand to would be blessed by you. That everything they touch, they would succeed in accordance with your will. And we thank you for these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's pray for this. Lord our God, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would help us to see the marvelous things that are there, that you would open our hearts and minds to be able to see the wonders that you've given us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We praise you, Lord God, for all of these blessings that you give. In the name of Christ, amen. And now we'll have the offering. <laughs> hey, you can tell where my head's at, though. I'm sorry, Jeff. That's okay. <laughs> I think I forgot to call the worship. So <laughs> it's Christmas. If the ushers will come forward, we'll receive the morning tithes and offering. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the abundant blessings you have given us. And today, as we return a portion of them, we pray for it to extend the work of your kingdom so that many others in this community and throughout the world may come to know about your goodness, your mercy, and your love through the work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. give you back this small portion. And we pray that you would use these funds, Lord God, to increase your kingdom here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. Now today we're going to be talking about Marys, and there are a lot of Marys in the New Testament. It's actually quite confusing. You've got a Mary for every occasion, 
Nobody has recognized this more acutely than the Roman Catholic Church. But we got room for a few Marys ourselves. Now, the three most important Marys is, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and the one they call Mary of Bethany, who's a more complicated figure than we might think. So we're going to start with her. So we all know this story. We know half of the story of Mary in Luke 10. From verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, this is an interesting place in Scripture. It says a lot about the way we think about worship. First of all, wasn't Mary, Martha, awesome for inviting Jesus and the rest of the folks into her house, ministering to them, taking care of them? She's making cupcakes. She's making cornbread. You can tell there's a lot going on there. And Mary has frankly never been a good girl. And she's sitting at Jesus' feet while all the work's being done, right? Now you might expect there's probably several people doing the work, right? But Martha's eye is on Mary. And Mary's just sitting around doing nothing to her, right? And Jesus has to stop for a second and correct her. Now, we've seen many places in Scripture where Jesus has to correct somebody, and frankly, it's usually not pleasant, right? Peter was called, get thee behind me, Satan. You know, there's a lot of correction. When Jesus corrects somebody, not only is he 100% accurate, but they have to take it. And do you know why they have to take it? Because it comes from a place of perfect love. He never is remonstrant for no reason. He's never overbearing. He's never rude. He's never proud. He never has your worst intentions in mind. And especially, he's never trying to hurt anybody. But he'll do a little truth-telling when it's called for, right? And so he tells her that your sister has chosen the one thing that is necessary. All of the muffins in the world cannot equal what Mary got to do. Can you imagine being in this time and place and setting and being able to sit at the feet of Jesus and receive the teaching directly from his mouth to your heart? Now, here's the thing. All of these Christmas things, I love them. I'm a huge sucker for Christmas. Peppermint, chocolate, eggnog. It doesn't really get any better. I'm expecting a few presents, expect expensive ones from my wife and children. <laughs> expecting a box from my mother, which will contain, for every year of my many, many years, socks and underwear, (laughs) which I will wear proudly. I'm not proud. We can easily get distracted by all the other things. You know, at this church, we've got lots of things going on. We've got Tuesdays, we've got Wednesdays, we've got Thursdays, we've got stuff going on on Sundays. It's very easy to Martha out, isn't it? 
It's very easy to Martha out, especially because you want everyone else to have a good time. You want to take care of people. And it's not that Jesus is saying that he doesn't like a good muffin. That's not the point. I would imagine he liked a good muffin because he was that kind of guy. What we're saying, what we're seeing here is, but really, there's one most important thing. And if you're not getting that one thing, all the rest is just a distraction. It's just a distraction, right? It can be easy for the church to become a place of social life, heavy, and commitment to Jesus Christ, light. One of the worst things that can ever happen at a church, at a successful church, at a big church, and a church with lots of things going on is that eventually the social events and the being involved and the doing this and the doing that start to eclipse Christ so that his word is not being given. But there are many important things to do, right? Now, we actually know more about Mary than this, even though she's not talked about a lot. Let's turn to chapter 7 of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, talking about Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this woman who is touching him is, for she is a sinner. Jesus was a prophet. Do you think he knew? He knew. And Jesus answered, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered. The one, I suppose, for whom they, he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. And you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, forgive, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And the scriptures say that the name of this woman in another place is the same Mary, the same Mary who was the sister of Martha. Do you see why she sat at his feet? Do you see why she couldn't be distracted by all of the fineries and things that go on around when religious events are happening? Why she would only sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words because her sins were forgiven and she was changed, transformed, renewed, brought to new life. All the past is washed away. 
Guys like this always love to push somebody's sins in their face. The usual reason is nobody knows about theirs, right? But Jesus knew what was in somebody. He knew the whole story about what was going on in their heart and mind. Every once in a while, he let them have it for that. Now, here's another Mary. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. Excuse me, Luke chapter 1, verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, of course, this is Mary that was a girl, right? She was a girl. She wasn't even married yet. She was only engaged to be married to Joseph. And the angel of the Lord came to her and announced to her that she would be with child and over, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And there would be a child in their, her womb that would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God. And Mary's response is this. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name is holy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. Does anybody remember who the baby was that was in Elizabeth's womb at that time? Chloe. Jesus. Very close. John the Baptist. You see how these stories come together, right? John the Baptist was born three months before Jesus from Mary's cousin Elizabeth and was filled with the Holy Ghost even while still in the womb so that he leapt with joy at the mere presence of his Lord coming to him. I know that we have a lot of strange medical scientific definitions of things going on, and, and so we try to do everything based upon what medicine has found out or what the sciences have found out, but they still have not found out the human soul, folks. We don't know how these things work, and what we do know is that a child's soul from the time of conception is every bit as much a human soul as a man of 99, right? And so the things that are going on are wonderful and they're remarkable and they're shocking to us. And they don't always align with our experiences or our understanding of ourselves or other people. But there's a reason why sometimes the faith of a child seems so much purer and more obvious than ours. Even if we've been raised in the faith, sometimes when we're grown up, we're even a little more distant than we were when we were children. And that is not a good thing. There's a reason why Jesus even came to them and said, if you can't come to me 
the way a little child does, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Didn't he say that? There's another Mary in chapter 27 of Matthew. Just for the reference in 27 from verse 55, there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, I know that you've probably heard a lot of stories. There's a lot of myth and a lot of tradition about Mary Magdalene, but there's no witness in Scripture except for the fact that he delivered her from being possessed by seven demons. A person having one demon seems pretty much full, right? It should be shocking and scary to us. And yet he delivered her from seven, and the whole rest of the Bible, she walks with him and stays with him. Even at the time of the crucifixion, she never leaves his side, but watches her Savior die on a cross. She had been with him for almost his entire earthly ministry. What we find out about her then is in chapter 28 of Matthew. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. She was faithful to him even after he had been dead for three days. We kind of notice who's not here, right? Where's all the disciples? Where are all the disciples? And behold, there was a great earthquake, and an angel from the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up, and they took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. <coughs> then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And so Mary Magdalene is the very first witness of the resurrected Lord. She had been with him all that time, and faith did not fail even upon watching him bleed and die. She was not only a believer, but a witness of the resurrection. The reason it's good to make distinctions between Mary's is because Mary's come at you hard and fast in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. There's actually several others that we know very little about. But all of them bring different nuance to this life and birth of Jesus, that they walked with him, they ministered to him. Some of them stayed with them and the disciples the entire time, making sure that they were doing the ministry that was appointed to them. And sometimes, every once in a while, they were the only ones that showed up. Isn't that interesting? 
We also have that story of Mary. You know, we knew Mary when Jesus was a baby. Well, Mary's still there at the time of the crucifixion. And actually on the cross, he calls down to Mary and he calls his disciple John, the one that he loved, the one that at the Last Supper leaned upon his breast, who was the youngest and lived the longest and wrote the book of John, the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the Revelation, and was still alive at 90 AD. And he tells him, Son, now this is your mother. Mother, now this is your son. And he appoints John, the guardian and caretaker of his earthly mother, who he loved as an earthly man. See, Jesus was fully human, and that's lost on us. Different times in history, we've lost one or the other. Sometimes he becomes so divine that he's not really in touch with us. He's just an object of worship, kind of like one of the platonic forms in the heavens. And sometimes he's become so earthly that he's really of no heavenly good. He's just like a moral teacher, just like a good guy you could pal around with. But the Jesus of Scripture is fully God and fully man, and so losing none of his divine prerogatives, he could also be with and in and among the people. Do you think Jesus was approachable? It's an interesting question, right? I've been in a lot of churches. I've been in churches all my life. My dad was a pastor. I have literally been in hundreds and hundreds of churches. I don't like it when the pastor's not approachable. You feel like, ooh, that's the pastor. You can't, you can't touch him, right? He's got the Shekinah coming off him. I don't like not approachable, right? You know, like one of the best guys for this is Martin Luther. The more you read about Martin Luther, the more you think you'd like to share a sandwich with him, Right? Remember that even the little children ran up to Jesus. They knew he was approachable. They came to him, and then the apostles got between them and the children and said, children, don't bother Jesus. He's a very serious, important religious figure. And Jesus rebukes them. And he says, don't get in between me and the kids. And he places his hand on them, and he blesses them because they knew they could go to him. One of the things you want to cultivate in your own mind, heart, and soul is that people would think of you, I know this is a heavy burden, the way they think of Jesus. They didn't only follow him at a distance. They knew they could come close. Frankly, if any one of you were to ever cry on my feet and wash my feet with your hair, I would be freaked out by that. I would be thinking lawsuit the whole time, going to jail, something like that. But think of how approachable he was. She knew she could do it. And he didn't send her away. He didn't rebuke her. She needed to touch him, and he knew it, and he let her. Because he was that kind of guy. Remember, he's not only a God far away. He's a God very close. Right? Let's pray. Lord our God, would that you would put in us the heart of Mary who is willing to cry on Jesus' feet and to touch him and to weep on him, Lord God, because she was filled with the Holy Ghost and all of her sins were forgiven. She treated Jesus right and the religious figure treated him wrong. We pray that we could be like Mary Magdalene, Lord God, who was with him all the way till the end. She was delivered from so much that her sight, her spiritual sight was so clear, it was like a laser. She just stuck with Jesus. 
And Mary, Lord God, who when she was very young and inexperienced, she was told by the angel and she considered the blessing to be the best blessing that anyone could ever get anywhere. And she rejoiced in her Savior. And she was there with him even at the time when he was nailed to a cross and at the time when he was raised from the dead. We pray, Lord God, that you would increase our faith, that you would strengthen us in these things so that we might know you. But even more than that, this great blessing that we would become like you, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus Christ in this life, that everything that he was in his humanity, we would be in ours. We praise you and thank you for these blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please rise as we sing a hymn. <laughs> Number 86. sufficient merit. The merits of Christ are completely sufficient in and of themselves. You cannot, you may not, you shall not contribute any of your own merit to your salvation. You don't really have any anyway, right? So now we're going to give the blessing, which is just where is a representative of God. You hear the blessing of God, which you already know you have. So this isn't a prayer, and this isn't one in which you're allowed to look at your feet. You're supposed to look up Earlier in the service, you looked down, and now you look up. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you, and may he give you peace. Amen. Amen. We have a peace.
We have a cake in the fellowship hall for Noah. If you guys all want to come in and have some chocolate cake. Also, remember tonight at about 5, we're going to have our hay rides. If you don't like hay rides, you can just, if you don't like hay rides, you can just come for the carols, and the carols will be inside in the board fellowship hall.